Let's pray together. Father, we come before you and we thank you that you're the God of restoration, that you rebuild those walls of protection around our lives. And Lord, we're desiring to see that work be done in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our community, in our country. And we humble ourselves before you. We need your help. We need your wisdom. We pray that you would speak to us powerfully tonight. Lord, we need you. As, as we sing, Jesus, you're what we long for. You're, you're life. There's, there's no life out, outside of you. You're the vine. We're the branches. And we want to connect to you tonight. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. What really has been standing out to me with the book of Nehemiah is how Nehemiah was burdened with brokenness for uh, God's people. I think it's really fitting for us right now as a church family to, to be looking around for believers and unbelievers where there's brokenness and be burdened. Remember, when Nehemiah heard that there was no walls around the temple, he prayed for four to five months. This was something that he couldn't let go. He just continued to cry out to the Lord in prayer. After praying for four or five months, then God opened the door. He took this step of faith to be sad in the king's presence. He was the king's cupbearer. He'd never been sad in the king's presence before. Presented the request, I'd like to go back and rebuild the wall. And the king gives him permission. Sends him with an armed guard, pays for the lumber. God opens the doors. The end of chapter two, Nehemiah rallies the troops, shares the vision, and the people respond and say, let us rise up and build. One of the ways that we've been burdened as a church for our community is over youth suicide. Yesterday, uh, we hosted a funeral for a 19-year-old girl that, that took her life. It, it's, it's continuing to happen in, in our community, and Dan Johnson did, did the funeral, and the family really felt led to reach out to her friends and wanted to address suicide head on, which takes a lot of courage for parents to be willing to do that and to speak the truth over what happened and to shed light and to tr provide hope. They wanted to put on each of the chairs a card of response where people could acknowledge that they were struggling, that they were suicidal to, to get help. We have eight young people to follow up with this week that have a plan to take their life, that have considered taking their life, that we're very honest in, in these cards. So please be in prayer for that. I mean, that's something that is a lot bigger than Dan Johnson or our pastoral staff. We, we need God to move in the lives of these young people. And God's giving us an opportunity to, to minister to them, but we're praying that God would rescue them and provide hope for them. And, and that's something to continue to be praying for, continuing that there would be breakthroughs in our, our community. What is it that God's been burdening your heart with as you've been studying the book of Nehemiah? Is there a relationship? Is there an individual? Is there an area of sin in, in your life? And you just can't seem to get away from that burden. And has it produced that prayer and those steps of faith? This chapter, as they are rising up and building, it's an easy chapter to pass over because it's filled with names and details, but I think there's a lot of lessons for us as we go through it. We're going to look at the first 13 verses primarily, read through it, I'll comment briefly, and then we'll 
have some application, we'll have some takeaways of the truth that we read. Then Elisha, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it, then as far as the Tower of Hanel. So it makes sense that the high priests and the priests would be rebuilding the sheep gate because the lambs for the sacrifice would come through the sheep gate. They're personally invested in this gate. The temple is built, but the gate is in ruins. So Nehemiah assigns the high priest and the other priests to build the sheep gate. Isn't it cool that the high priest is rolling up his sleeves and getting dirty and building the gate? He's being a servant leader. Reminds me of the ultimate high priest, Jesus Christ. Jesus having all authority, king of kings, came as a servant, put on human flesh, washed the disciples' feet. He's the ultimate God-man, the ultimate high priest who is a servant. In verse two, next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri, built. Jericho is some distance away from Jerusalem. It's a bit of travel, it's a hike in elevation. They make the commute to come be part of this restoration project. In verse three, also the sons of Hassanel built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Urijah. Take note of that phrase, next to them. It's mentioned 28 times in this chapter. Next to them, next to, beside them. God, by specific design, records that for us. They weren't isolated as they were serving. They were serving right next to someone as they were having this opposition from the enemy that didn't want to see the wall built. Cause made repairs. Next to them, Mesulam, the son of Bikri, the son of Meshabal, made repairs. Next to them, Zadok, the son of Banah, made repairs. Next to them, the Tekoites made repairs, but their nobles did not build, did not put their shoulders to the work. Tekoa is a neighboring city, it would be a commute as well, traveling in to rebuild the wall. We find that the nobles from Tekoa did not put their shoulders to the work. So they weren't like the high priests. They didn't roll up their sleeves and serve and work hard in this effort. In verse six, moreover, Jehoiada, the son of Pesha, and Mesulam, the son of Beshoiada, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. And next to them, Melta, the Gibeonite, Gibeon being another neighboring city, Jerdon the Maranathite and the men of Gibeon and Mizpah repaired the residence of the governor of the region beyond the river. So also the governor's residence is repaired in this process. In verse eight, next to him, Uziel the son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths made repairs, and next to them, Hananiah, one of the perfumers made repairs, and they fortified Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. So not only do we see priests and we see nobles, but we see goldsmiths and perfumers getting involved in this work as well. I would think the perfumers were probably fairly popular because they made things smell good. They were the essential oil guys of the day, right? 
but the perfumers are out there working. The goldsmiths are, are working. God brings together quite a variety. We continue on, it says, and next to him, Hatsa, the son of Halseba, made repairs. In verse 11, Jalkin, the son of Hermar, Hashub, the son of Pahath, Moab, repaired other sections as well as the Tower of the Ovens. And next to them were Salmon, the son of Halshith, the leader of the half district of Jerusalem. He and his daughters made repairs. So the half district of Jerusalem, the leader of the half district, is working and making repairs. And he recruits his family. He's got his daughters with him working on the gate. I love that. Families serving the Lord together. We see in the New Testament with Philip that his four daughters prophesied. As a family, they're serving the Lord. This is the ultimate as us as families serving God uh, together. In verse 13, Hanun and the inhabitants of Zalnoah repaired the valley gate. They built it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the refuse gate. Somebody had to get the dung gate. Not very much fun to have to work around the refuse gate. They're so committed to the mission that even if they were given a stinky task, they were willing to do it. They were willing to take on that, that tough challenge. Look uh, quickly at verse 21. And after him, Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Kaz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Elishib to the end of the house of Eliashib. So they're repairing in front of their homes. And if you study the second half of chapter three, you see that in a few cases that Nehemiah would say, okay, why don't you go ahead and repair the wall right in front of your house, which makes sense. And I think there's a spiritual lesson for us as we wanna work on that wall of defense from the enemy right around our home, right around our family, our, our spouse, our, our wife, or our kids, and really see the Lord do that work of uh, security. Well, guys, we're done. He made the commute on a snowy night. We can, we can, no, I'm just getting started. Sorry, but, so let's pull out some application of after what we've read. So number one, first thing, if you're taking notes tonight, is we're wanting God to do this restorative work, is God sees your labor specifically. I wanted to read these names and struggle through these names because God records the names for all of eternity. Heaven and earth is gonna pass away, but God's word abides forever. For all of eternity, these people's names are recorded because they sacrificed for God's work. There were some Israelites that chose to stay in captivity even though they could return to Jerusalem. 70 years of captivity. They're established, they have homes, they have jobs. They never came back. I'm sure there were those in Jerusalem and the surrounding area that decided we're not gonna get involved in building the wall. It's not convenient, it's dangerous, there's opposition. I've never done anything like this before. A lot of reasons why not to get involved in God's work. And God records the names specifically of those that labored for him. And even who they were related to, the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of God, takes time to record it. So be encouraged if you're serving the Lord, don't get weary in doing good. God promises us in Galatians 6, 9 that we will reap the harvest 
if we don't lose heart. But it's easy to get weary while doing good. It's easy to, man, I'm building this wall. I'm wanting to see God do this, this restorative work. I'm serving, I don't know if anyone sees. I'm serving my family, I don't even know if anyone sees. I'm serving at my workplace, I don't know if anyone notices. I'm serving in the church, I'm serving brothers and sisters in Christ. I have this friend that I'm reaching out to that's an unbeliever, and I'm not seeing any fruit. I feel like throwing in the towel. And what we learn from this chapter is God sees specifically. He sees your labor specifically. And God does promise a reward. Jesus in his second coming comes with reward. We're encouraged to lay up treasure in heaven. God graciously is gonna give us crowns in eternity that we get to lay at the feet of Jesus. It's worth it, whether we see the harvest in this life or not. In Hebrews chapter six, verse 10, we have this promise. For God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God's not gonna forget your work. He's not gonna forget your, your labor of love. So be encouraged that, that he sees your labor. Maybe you've been considering serving the Lord in a greater way. You're, you're feeling God calling you to surrender and sacrifice and you're wrestling and you're wondering, man, is it worth it? Is it worth the time? It, it's always worth it to serve Christ. It's always worth it to follow his call. Jesus told us and said, if we seek to save our life, we're gonna lose it. But if we lose our life for his sake, we're gonna find it. Do you think that any of this group regretted being part of this building project? Was it hard? Absolutely. Were their lives at risk? Absolutely. But they got to see God do an amazing work in 52 days. Have you ever regretted over time looking back going, man, I really regretted serving God in that way? May not have worked out the way that you thought, it's not up for us to determine the results. We're just to be faithful. We go, I know that that's what the Lord had me to do. But we do regret disobedience, don't we? we? We do regret selfishness. So God does see your labor specifically. Number two, God uses unity and variety. What stands out in this chapter is there's tremendous unity. You've got this diverse group of people that's unified in this mission to rebuild this wall. And what a time it is for us as believers, if we're gonna see God do this restorative work, to be unified. And we have what it takes to walk in unity because Jesus is our head, amen? Jesus is the head of the church. He's what unifies us. The truth of scripture, the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. We're unified in Christ. We're unified in the word of God. However, it's not unity at all cost. If we throw out Christ, if we throw out the word, we don't have unity at all. So our unity is found under the umbrella of Jesus and following Jesus and, and the gospel. But if we take out the gospel that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, then we have to draw the line in the sand and say, no, we can't be unified because we don't agree in the gospel. It's not all paths lead to the Father as long as you believe in something. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
So we have to understand what we're unified in. We're unified in truth. We're unified in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Now having said that, it's easy for us as believers to fight over things that aren't biblical issues. When it comes to biblical issues, it's worth a fight. It's worth drawing a line in the sand, but we shouldn't be dividing with believers over unbiblical issues. Those are the opportunities for God's love to bind us together, for the Spirit of God to bring us into this deep unity. Jesus prayed that we would be unified as the Father and the Son are unified so that the world could see that we're his disciples, that the world could see the love of the Father. We have a tremendous opportunity right now to display to the world true unity that's found in the relationship of the Father and the Son by the way that we love each other. Wouldn't it be so cool if those that didn't know Christ or Savior said, man, I gotta get to know what's happening at the church, at Rocky Mountain Calvary, as the church of God as a whole because they are unified. Where the world is divided, they're unified. I wanna thank you for your unity, walking together through this challenging year. Do you know it was a year ago this weekend that we had to stop having in-person services? March 13th is when it all came down. We made it. It's a, it's a year later. And there's been a lot of difficult decisions and ups and downs and a lot of potential for fighting, and there's been a tremendous amount of unity, which I'm thankful to the Lord for. In Psalms 120:133, it says, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren and sistren to dwell together in unity. You can't duplicate it, you can't replace it. God's spirit moves through unity and we're unified in this mission that God has given to us to know him and to, to make him known. But inside of unity, there is also variety. A huge, diverse group of people. Different cities, different economic backgrounds. You have priests. You have governors, but you have goldsmiths, and you've got perfumers, families serving together. The world's definition right now of unity is actually taking out diversity. Do you realize that? They're saying to be unified, there can't be gender. There can't be male and female if we're gonna walk in unity. Well, that's not an understanding of unity. Unity is not everybody being the same and being clones of each other and trying to deny the obvious, male and female. It's clear there's a difference here between male and female. Unity is to be able to say, you are male, you are female, and you actually complement each other, and it is God's design. So inside of unity, don't think that there isn't place for variety. Now again, this is all inside of biblical truth. I'm not leaving biblical truth here. The example that we're given in this is that we're the body of Christ. What if my physical body was all a thumb? It says, I want my body to be unified, so I'm going to make my body just, it's all gonna be a thumb. That would be the most awkward and ineffective body that there's ever been. The body works because it's unified, but it's also diverse, right? So you have a distinct 
place in the body of Christ and don't try to be somebody else. Do the calling that God has given you. You you are going to be the best version of you. But you're going to be a terrible someone else, a clone of someone else. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we're told that we have been given gifts by the Lord, spiritual gifts. So we have unique personalities, we have unique natural gifts, we have unique spiritual gifts, and it took this collective team coming together on a unified mission to be able to accomplish God's work. And that's how we're going to be a healthy body as well, is be who God has made you to be. I think it's an important time in the crossroads of our culture to understand what unity is. Unity is found in the person of Christ. Unity is found in the truth. And inside of unity, biblical unity, there is variety. God doesn't want us to be clones of each other. God's a God of variety. When you look at his creation, he creates things very uniquely and differently. And once we cancel out the God-given variety, we're actually taking away from the creator. And that's exactly what Satan would love to do. That's what exactly what the world would want to do is to take out the creativity that the Lord has intrinsically put into his creation. So God uses unity and variety. And number three, serving is to be done side by side, next to them, next to them, and next to them. 28 times in this chapter. Why why is it so important as they're serving to be next to someone else because Sandal and Tobiah are attacking. Sandal and Tobiah are, are coming against them. There's one point where they're having a sword in one hand and a brick in the other. That's how dangerous things are for them. They have to look out for one another. Again, I think this is very fitting for where we're living in March of 2021 is we no longer as believers can survive without one another. We need to be linked to other believers because the enemy's very real. There's a roaring lion that is seeking who he will devour. So it's important for us to invest in other believers, make time for other believers, spend time relationally with believers to say, hey, let's serve God together and let's keep an eye out for one another. It's so awesome to come and worship and to spend time in the word in the setting like this at home on the live stream. It's encouraging to listen to a podcast, but that in and of itself is not enough. We need fellowship. We need relationship. God calls us to be in fellowship and to be in relationship with each other. That, that next to type of experience. God's really been blessing our small groups here at the church, our, our connect groups, they're, they're growing. We're actually in need of more leaders. So if you have a heart to be a leader, please send an email to, to Pastor Sean Rafferty to, to call him on the phone. We'll be hoping to, to launch more groups in August. We have eight groups that still have openings. If you're wanting to meet in a home, men's ministry, women's ministry is a great way to get connected. 65 guys showed up this morning for breakfast burritos and studying God's word and fellowshipping together. Bible study is better with a breakfast burrito. I'm not going to lie, right? And a cup of coffee. 65 guys said, I want to be in relationship with, with each other.
Serving is a great way to be in relationship. Some of the best relationships I have in life have come with men that I've been able to serve God together with. I love our pastoral staff and our pastoral team. They're friends, they're brothers, because we get to serve God together. How it looks in your life is between you and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's gonna help you flesh it out, but we have to fight against being isolated. You're gonna get hurt by other believers. Believers are gonna let us down. We're gonna get busy. There's that tendency to say, well, I'll just go with Jesus and me. Isn't it enough to just have me and Jesus? I'm not really gonna do this fellowship thing. I'm really not gonna do this next to them thing. We're gonna get picked off by the enemy. So say, okay, I need to forgive. I need to let go of some some bitterness. I need God to, to soften my heart but I'm gonna choose to be in relationship with other believers. It's a really important part of the movement of the book of Nehemiah is that they're serving together side by side. It's God's design. Lastly, number four is we must know our roles and responsibilities. Have you ever shown up to help a friend move and they have no direction? So you get there and you say, hey, all right, Saturday morning, what would you like me to do? Uh, I don't really know. I don't really know what I need you to do. It's even worse if they're not packed yet. And they're struggling with getting packed, and then all of a sudden they're looking to you to try to define the role and the responsibility, and it, it's frustrating. But you've probably also had the experience where you show up and someone's packed and they're ready. And they say, you know what? I really need you to help with some cleaning. And you know, you look pretty strong. How about you do the heavy lifting? Here's the dolly. Let's go ahead and put that stuff in first. And over some simple instructions, some simple role and responsibility, then all of a sudden this moving is is happening and, and taking place. With this large of a group of people, that want to rebuild the wall, what if they don't have a job to do? And they're looking at Nehemiah, and Nehemiah goes, well, why don't you guys just kind of figure it out, and everybody do what's right in their own eyes, and we'll see how this thing pans out. Nehemiah gives jobs. He gives responsibility, and yeah, someone had to do the dung gate, but at least that was their job and their responsibility. But when you do have that role and that responsibility, it, it gives clarity, it takes away confusion, it brings value. Okay, this, this is what I'm supposed to do. So when it comes to serving the Lord, do you have direction from the Lord? Has God given you a role and giving you a, a responsibility? If you're married, God's given you a role and responsibility. He's called you to be a godly husband. He's called you to be a godly wife. He's called you to serve your spouse. If, if he's given you children, he's, he's given you a role. He's given you a responsibility. We're told that whatever our hands find to do, to do it wholeheartedly unto the Lord, to worship to the Lord. We could really define our role and responsibility to know the Lord and to make him known. To wake up every day and say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to press into a deeper relationship with you. I want to seek you out in your word, seek you out in prayer. I want to know you, and I want to make you known. I want to encourage believers. I want to share with unbelievers. Jesus gave us a mission. He gave us a declaration. 
So to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, so we don't have to go through this life aimless. We don't have to go through this life purposeless. We can say, God has given me a role. God has given me a, a responsibility to do. I wanna know him, I wanna make him known. If we wanted to simplify this even more, to love the Lord and to love others. God's calling us to be a servant. He's calling us to serve people, serve believers, serve unbelievers, serve all of those that we come in contact with. And this is a great way to live life, isn't it? When we have this mindset of being a servant. Jesus, you love me, I wanna love others and take on this mind of Christ to put others' needs before my own. But when we're in a place of selfishness, that's when real discouragement comes in. So lay hold of the role and the responsibility that God has given you to do. So first, let's be encouraged tonight. Let's be encouraged that God sees our labor of love. If you're laboring, and you're laboring, and you're laboring, man, God sees. Maybe through this year, you've been working at home. I go, oh, at first it was great. Just get into my pajamas, roll in front of my computer, do my work. But now you're starting to go, wow, does anybody even notice what I do? You know, here I am working at home, and is there any value in this? And I'm tired of looking at these same four walls. Do it under the Lord. God sees your, your faithfulness. God sees that, that labor of love. God sees the way you love and serve your spouse. The Lord sees the way you're living out your singleness in a way to, to glorify the Lord. There's a lot of names that are really hard to read in Nehemiah 3 that are recorded for all of eternity. And don't give up. Maybe tonight you're thinking, man, I'm just gonna throw in the towel. I'm tired of serving. I'll continue to believe in Christ, but man, this serving thing is, is overrated, is building the wall, tired of pressing into brokenness. No, don't give up. God sees your labor of love specifically. Let's embrace unity and variety. God is calling us to walk together in unity. It's a really neat work that the Lord's doing right on Austin Bluffson Academy. God's really blessing Discovery Church right behind us, and they're growing. Vanguard Church is doing really well. Kelly Williams is a really good friend of mine. Antioch Church is merging with New Life. Where New Life Midtown is gonna be right here in the neighborhood. Pastor Brady is a good friend, loves the Lord, excited to see how New Life is gonna be used in this sector of the city. New Church, a mile south fervent church, has started, God's using that church and blessing that church and they love the Lord and they're, they're teaching the, the word of God. It's a unique thing that's happening right within stone's throw of our church. God graciously has been blessing Rocky Mountain Calvary and we've been seeing the Lord reach people and, and new people coming and the city's growing. There, there's plenty of opportunity for kingdom work uh, to be done and, and to take place. And we wanna embrace unity. We're thankful for the other churches in town. It's not competition, we're in this together. And I'm thankful that 
the churches aren't exactly the same. You know, you go over to Vanguard, it's not the same as RMC. You go to Discovery Church, it's not the same. You go to Calvary Worship Center, it's not the same because God loves variety inside of unity. And so for us to say, this is time for us to embrace the body of Christ as a whole, to be for each other and not against each other, to really love believers, but then also to hold on to the fact that that God in his creativity, he does make us different for his, his glory. Then to wrestle with this next to them truth that has given to us. Am, am I really in relationship with other believers? If the answer is yes, continue going, be, be steadfast. And also church, if you're in relationship with believers, is invite people who aren't in fellowship into your community, into your fellowship. I can't see any place in scripture where any of our fellowship groups should be closed communities. Or it's like, okay, I got my holy huddle. It's us five and no more. We, we really don't have room for, for newcomers. I hope that, and I believe that it is, that, that RMC is a church that's, that's welcoming to new people. Saying, hey, join into the fellowship group. Come into the men's study. Come into the women's study. Come into the, the small group. Join in with this and it, it brings fresh life. Sometimes fresh challenges, but also fresh life. And so if you're in fellowship, invite those who are not in fellowship into that community. If you're not in fellowship, say, I can't stay in this place. I gotta invest in believers. Maybe it's in your workplace. Are there believers? Invest in them. In your neighborhood, apartment complex, invest in them. Join a connect group. Start, start serving, but say, I've gotta be in relationship with believers because there is a real enemy and then to know our role and responsibility. Yes, we have the big mission that's been given to us by God, the great commission to go and make disciples. We have this big picture view of knowing God and making him known, but, but do we know what God has called us to right now in this season of our lives? And to go before the Lord and say, God, would you, would you give me clarity? I don't want to wake up and kind of wander around the wall and wonder what I'm supposed to do. I want direction. Okay, I'm supposed to build the sheep gate. <laughs> All right, wouldn't have chose the dung gate, but I got it, so I'm going to go build the dung gate. Say, okay, Lord, what is it that you're really wanting me to do? There, there's a lot of peace in having that direction from the Lord. If you do have that direction from the Lord, then stick with it and see where the Lord will bring. So I hope that you're encouraged by Nehemiah chapter three, that it gives some, some good takeaways for us. And let's continue to press into the burdens that the Lord has, has placed on our hearts. Continue to pray, continue to step out in faith and see the Lord do a work of restoration. See the Lord bring people to Christ and restore people's lives. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we lift up these eight young people that Dan gets to follow up with this week and we pray, Lord, that there would be real breakthroughs in their lives. 
this hopelessness that they feel, these thoughts of suicide, that you, Jesus, would, would break through. You're the God of hope. You're the God of the resurrection. And we pray over this family that lost their 19-year-old daughter and pray that you would comfort them in a way that only you can. We pray over the youth of our city, the youth of our church, that you would protect them from suicide. Help them to see the plans and purposes that you have for their life. We pray Jeremiah 29, 11 over them, that you know the thoughts that you think towards them, that of peace and not of evil, to give them a future and a hope. Would you protect them from the lies of the enemy? And God, we're desiring that you would do a work in marriages, that you would bring restoration and, and healing and soft hearts, marriages that are going well, that you would strengthen them, marriages that are falling apart, that you would restore them. We pray over the lost. We pray over those that don't know you, that have not heard your name, Jesus. Pray for opportunities and boldness to take the gospel out to unbelievers. We pray that we would see the lost be found. Jesus, we know that you came to seek and to save the lost. We thank you for what you're doing in the body of Christ right here on Austin Bluffson Academy. Thank you for Discovery Church, for Pastor Greg. As they reach out over Easter, we pray many people would come to know you. Father, thanks for Vanguard and Pastor Kelly and his faithfulness to serve you in this area of the city. And would you refresh him and encourage him, put a hedge of protection around him. Would you continue to bless him with leaders that would come around him. Thank you for Pastor Brady and his heart to reach different parts of the city and to step out into this area of the city. Would you bless New Life Midtown? Bring many people to come to know you. Lord, we thank you for Garrett at Fervent Church. Thank you for his commitment to teach your word. Thank you for calling him here and providing that building for them. And we just pray that you would fill it that many people would come to know you. God, we pray for a tremendous unity in our city when it comes to the body of Christ, a unity that is greater than what we've experienced in the past. Lord, we thank you for the unity that we enjoy with one another here at RMC. Would you protect that? Would you, would you bless that? Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would, would you show us specifically what our role and what our responsibility is? Would you give us clarity? Lord, where there is discouragement, where we're tired and we're weary, would you meet us and would you strengthen us? Holy Spirit, would you do only what you can do? Would you turn this city upside down? Would you turn this country right side up? Turn us back to you. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.